I mean, a simple reading of both history and the scripture show that that view is actually uh, incorrect. And it's not just confusing. There's people that have an agenda, that push an agenda, that they want the God of the Old Testament to look that way. Welcome to Switching Lenses, a podcast that attempts to break down cultural assumptions and then view them from a more biblical lens. I'm Josh Phillips, joined here always by Shane Skirvin. Shane, we're back, man. We've been on a break for a long time, but we are back. How have you been, man? What's been going on? Good, good. Uh, just had a big move, moved 2,000 miles away. Oh, so, yeah, been pretty busy with that. Yeah, you made the big move up there to Oregon, so you're you're far far away from me now. But that's okay. We're gonna we're still gonna continue to do this, and uh, yeah, we want to give you a little bit of time to kind of get settled in there and all that with the big move and everything. So, well, we're gonna get on the show here. Remember, you can always reach us on Twitter at lenses switching. That's at lenses switching. And today we're actually gonna wrap up the series that we've been on, the series of answering the atheists. This is our last installment of this. Uh, we're gonna wrap this up, and we'll move on to some new new episodes after this, but this last episode, we're going to be hitting kind of two, two main accusations that uh, seem to be pretty frequent from atheists. The first one being, uh, do we serve a bipolar God, us, us uh, Christians? There's the, 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 the common accusation that the God of the Old Testament is this judgmental kind of angry God, and, and the God of the New Testament, represented by the person of Jesus, is this loving, gracious God. And to some, there's an inconsistency there. And then our second topic we're going to get to is uh, the relevancy of the Bible. A lot of people say that the Bible is no longer relevant in today's progressive culture, that maybe it served a purpose back in ancient times, but today it doesn't have the application that it used to, and therefore we shouldn't be following it like so many do. So those will be our, our main questions we're going to tackle today. And we'll go and start off with the first one here. And it's this idea of a bipolar God. A lot of atheists sometimes will accuse God of being one way in the Old Testament, typically something along the lines of being uh, angry or vengeful in some way. Or then in the New Testament, he's loving and gracious and he's helping people and he's performing miracles. And so they tend to say there's this kind of inconsistency between uh, the two Testaments. And and to be honest, really, I think even some Christians even may struggle with this a little bit. Uh, They may see the Bible the same way, that that the the God that they uh, serve is kind of has these two sides to him represented in the Bible. So let's let's kind of get started on this and get rolling on it a bit. Um, Let's start with Jesus. Um, We say the God of the New Testament, as some refer to him as. So Shane... How is Jesus thought of in the New Testament, and what do you think kind of contributes to this idea uh, and this perception of Jesus? Well, I think the um, the how the Old Testament is a lot larger than the New Testament kind of works to kind of help create that because it's a lot harder to get a full or a more uh, holistic view of God uh, until you read a lot of the Old Testament, with it being a lot bigger. New Testament being so much shorter sometimes it's easier to uh, to get a quicker view. And so I, I, think, uh, I think sometimes with people that when they're reading the New Testament, they think, oh, okay, I've read, I've read a good chunk of the New Testament. I kind of get the idea of what's going on, where in the Old Testament, by, uh, you know, it's, it's, it takes a lot more, you have to be a lot more invested to get the, the bigger picture. And, and we're all, honestly, we're all very busy, right? And so sometimes it, you have to be very intentional to try to get a full picture in the uh, Old Testament. And go ahead. 
No, that's a great point that you make. Uh, just the lengths of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament being so much longer, uh, sometimes people don't want to invest the time into that. Uh, versus the New Testament, it's a little bit shorter. Um, two, some of the books in the Old Testament, I think, might be a little tougher to read, possibly, for some. Or maybe not as interesting as other books, like uh, the books uh, dealing with you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, dealing with the law. Um, some of the books, the prophets and things like that. Some people may not want to be able to sit down and just knock out 10 chapters right there and reading it. Whereas the New Testament, I think people have an easier time picking out certain verses and certain passages and directly applying them to their lives, um, as opposed to like a narrative story where they're having to dig through it and see the themes and the symbols and things like that. And I just think people tend to gravitate more easily to the New Testament than they do the Old Testament. And, and right. it's easier with, well, the New Testament being the in the Gospels, being kind of the focal point of the New Testament, being a narrative. It's a lot easier to read mm-hmm. uh, that narrative and, and get the idea that you've gotten a fuller picture. But even Jesus is pretty complex because he deals with uh, sin in a pretty harsh way. Do you remember in uh, uh, the, the language he uses about, I, I think it's uh, hyperbole, but he, he talks about... Uh, looking at sin pretty severely and the need to separate it yourself. He uses, he talks about amputation. And right. I, you know, the view has always been, traditional view has always been he's speaking um, uh, metaphorically and using hyperbole. But it's, he's still speaking very harshly about the need to separate yourself from what would corrupt you, what would cause uh, sinful behavior in you. And, and then even as you read through the New Testament, well, we have a Christ who returns and he judges the earth by a standard that involves uh, passing judgment on um, all the systems, all the world's systems, and all the people in the world, completely uh, transforming uh, the, the world's order, right? Fundamentally changing everything through an act of judgment. Right, right. Okay, we're, we're going to get there. But really, the, the, the more common perception of Jesus is that he's this loving a uh, loving person who is reaching out to all these uh, these people, the destitute. He's reaching out to the the poor, those that have been shunned from society, the tax collectors, women, women, yes, yeah, social outcasts, like you said, even people that have had a a moral life, immoral lifestyle, right? Right, right, and, and that's the common perception of who Jesus is. But whereas we get to the Old Testament. Then we have a totally different perception, you know, especially whenever we get to like the books of the prophets and we see God um, interacting with Israel and enacting judgment, telling them that neighboring enemies are going to come invade their lands and, you know, the exile talk. That seems to kind of be the perception, at least, of the God of the Old Testament, right? Yeah, yeah, because you, uh, the prophets, that's their, when you read through the book of, uh, when you read through the books of the prophet, that by definition, that's what they did. They were, uh, they were called to hold people and the kingdoms uh, to accountability. So anytime, anytime you read through those, you're constantly running into that theme. Right. And, and to that point, you know, sometimes that accountability was even to the point of death sometimes. You know, we look at some of those Old Testament laws, and some of them were, you know, they're quite serious and pretty harsh. A lot of them pointed towards death. All accountability does uh, talk about life and death, Right. It's true. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's why their stakes are high, and there's even the concept of accountability is that there's morality, and you have to give an account for the your behavior because there is right and wrong, and and the idea of right and wrong, uh, you can't have right and wrong without having the idea that there's consequences, which would right. of course always, even in our society, right, always right. lead to life and death issues. No, you're right. You're right. That's that's a great point. That's a great point. 
Uh, I'd like to bring up one more thing really quickly uh, before we move on. And there's always this, there's been this kind of common perception of God as being sort of this, um, I guess, kind of for lack of a better word, like a warmonger type of God that everybody that he disagrees with or he's, or, or, or he's going to make war with, or he's just constantly, you know, sending Israel out to go and just make war with all these nations and conquer this land and destroy this land. But that's not true. That's not necessarily true, is it? No, no. It, the Bible clearly, clearly says that both in the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned, um, God mentions about some of the people groups or nations that are around Israel, that Israel is explicitly given a warning not to uh, mess with them, not to intrude, not to make war with them, not to take anything from, but to respect their borders and their boundaries and to leave them alone. Right. And so, and then in the New Testament, it carries that theme through to say, Apostle Paul says, God has, in his forbearance, has allowed the nations that didn't want to follow them to go their own way. And even more than that, so even though he's allowed them to go their own way, he, uh, in Christ, Apostle Paul says, he's actually overlooking their past behavior and he's calling them back into the same relationship he, as he offered to Israel. So it, it is amazing that you see, uh, not only did he explicitly say, leave them alone, he's actually overlooking their past and inviting them uh, into the, the very things he had for Israel. So it's, it's definitely not the, the common perception that God was wanting to, like you said, kill those who didn't uh, follow him. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. Look at the story of Jonah. Uh, right. I mean, this is God sending a prophet, a prophet that would be, like we were talking about, part of that, uh, their vocation is to hold uh, uh, power accountable, accountable in Israel and people accountable. He sent one of those to a pagan city uh, to turn it back from being destroyed. So in, in the story of Jonah, not only does he send Jonah to, to save a pagan city, he actually, and this city was terrible, by the way. Uh, Nineveh was a very harsh, brutal uh, city. Uh, it would probably be a joy to watch it get burned down, the way those people, uh, <laughs> the city of Nineveh, how they were to their enemies. Wow. But Jonah, I know, not to sound like Jonah, but he had a point. A lot of people, they look at Jonah and think he was a bad guy, but the people he was sent to save, they were bad guys too. You know, it's not, it's not as clear cut as we want to make it like, uh, there was a reason why Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. But having said that, the story shows how Jonah, as one who knows God, actually consistently, whether it's in the boat with the pagan sailors or if it's the people of Nineveh, he, he always, in both situations, he comes off looking worse than the pagans. I mean, yeah. that was always trying to promote just Israel's interest against, um, uh, against people that didn't believe in him. He would never tell the story of Jonah. Or, the, you know, the God of Israel would never have that story told, and he wouldn't have the story of even Samson told, because the Israelites don't come off looking very good in either one of those stories. Right, right, right. Well, you know, let's kind of get into that a little bit. Um, so, again, this old, this perception of the Old Testament God as a sort of kind of warmonger type, and um, what you kind of what you were saying, like nothing could be further from the truth, just to kind of build on that a little bit, Shane— how many offensive wars did was did God actually order to the people of Israel? Yeah, yeah. From from what we see, just one, right? One, the one war is the judgment of uh, Canaan. It was a very limited in scope. It was a very defined. It was a judgment of uh, very uh, seven nations in one particular area, small nations, um, and they had had uh, what Josh four hundred years yep. to turn to repent. 
you know, the people of Nineveh repented when Jonah showed up, right? Yeah. They re- someone pre- re- preached to them and they repented. Well, look at the difference between Nineveh and then how uh, the people of Canaan were. They had 400 years and they never changed. And they had thoroughly become such a corrupt, uh, deplorable, you know, de- degenerated in every way culture. I, I know uh, to this day when when the same people that held the same beliefs when in the, off the coast of North Africa, I remember when they opened up their uh, temple, there was 20,000 little skeletons of children that had been sacrificed um, to uh, uh, Beelzebub. Beelzebub, yeah. And so, you know, this is the same same behavior that was being uh, perpetuated in Canaan. And, and he called a judgment. Those people, they were... Uh, they were uh, cleared out. Uh, they were given a chance, some of them, right, to change. They right. could be, like, uh, we've cited the example of Rahab and uh, other people that had uh, changed and were allowed to um, join uh, the, it was not a racial judgment, it was a cultural uh, judgment of the people of Canaan. And and that was that was the one time. And But people, I, I think there is, sometimes there's confusion over that, and it's the idea that God was uh, always waving a, uh, the people of God were always waving a sword going after everyone. But nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, a simple reading of both history and the scriptures show that that view is actually uh, incorrect. And it's not just confusing. There's people that have an agenda, that push an agenda that they want the God of the Old Testament to look that way. Well, yeah, that's true. But, but even the people that don't, uh, some some people have some kind of like a distorted view or distorted reading, I should say, uh, of the Bible. I, I, and I've, I've been guilty of this. Let me give you an example. Um, I know I used to sometimes read the Bible and I read different stories uh, within there, especially in the Old Testament. I'll give you an example, like Jacob and Esau. And I would be reading that and, you know, growing up in the, the Christian home that I grew up in and uh, attending church like I did all through growing up. Yeah, there's certain characters in the Bible that you hear about a lot. And so in your mind, you sort of have this assumption that these are great, great godly men, and they are. But what I read about them in the Bible, these are the examples of their life where they were, they were living for God and they were doing the right thing. And so I would read a story like Jacob and Esau, and I'm reading this, and I'm seeing kind of the deception that's involved. And I'm sort of scratching my head like, wait, wait is this okay? Like, I mean, it's Jacob doing some of this. And he's this guy I've always grown up knowing that's, that's, that's he's part of the this this noble family that's going to establish God's people and you know the, he's he's in the Bible quite a bit. Um, he's a prominent character, and I just kind of brought this assumption in that everything I read that he does in the Bible is right and it's a righteous act and it's something that I should do in my life as well. And that's not necessarily true. And I think sometimes people can kind of have sort of that that sort of reading of scripture and that sort of understanding perception of it and think that the Bible is saying something that really it's not. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Uh, uh, a Bible is uh, telling a story that is not, not, it's not a reflection of God's perfect will. It's a reflection of uh, real people, right? Right. You know, and so that that is, that's a, that's a good point. Not everything between the pages is what God uh, condones. Right, right. You know, a careful reading of Scripture is very, very important. You know, and that's kind of the point we're trying to illustrate here, is that a careful reading of Scripture will give us an accurate description of who God is. And if it's whenever we sort of pick and choose or we don't uh, study and get into the Scripture like we should, sometimes we might read into something that's not really there. But uh, we're going to keep, keep, let's keep moving on with this idea. And let's kind of 
get in to see if with, with, with a careful reading of scripture, we can really see who God is in the Old Testament and that he actually does have this, uh, this merciful side to him. You know, you kind of talked about him, about Jonah, the story of Jonah a little bit earlier. And I'm not going to go, you know, rehash everything that you already said. You laid it out pretty well right there, I thought. Um, but God's relationship with Nineveh, Nineveh was a horrible, horrible place that just was completely godless and just completely turned their back on him. Yet he showed mercy to them anyways, and he showed forgiveness. And that is, that's, that's huge. That's huge in the character of God. and tells, It's very telling of who he is. And there are other stories, too, where he's showing these acts of mercy, right? Uh, yeah, and, and even there's a story in Kings where uh, some pagan kings are marching against Israel. And at one point, they're defeated, and they said, let's seek mercy because the kings of Israel, the people of Israel, are known for being merciful. I mean, mer- mercy was written into uh, their DNA. Whether they always walked it out, like we said, with the scriptures perfectly or not, it is written that in their, in their founding uh, scriptures about uh, being merciful and showing mercy right. and not, uh, not being harsh. And it, it, that, that mercy actually was in every part of, I mean, this is a scripture not to curse the deaf, not to put a stumbling block before the blind, to rise above the age, to put a hand railing on your, on your, on your roof so that when your neighbors come over, they don't fall off. I mean, it, it's actually reflected in so much of the scripture, even the scripture, how when you find a bird with its eggs, you take the bird uh, or you take the eggs, you leave the bird there. I mean, I don't think God was really talking about birds and eggs. I think he's saying in everything you do, the principle of mercy should be woven into everything you do. And, and that is, uh, you know, that is the legacy of the of people of Israel. They weren't known as a harsh, brutal people. They did make mistakes. But that has never been their legacy. Um, and, and, and they fell into sin and were judged themselves because God had to do that, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, frankly, they should be merciful. And my goodness, as much as they messed up, uh, reading all throughout the Old Testament, God always accepted them back. He was always showing mercy to them uh, as long as they would repent and turn from those old ways. Look at the, the perfect example, Josh. Uh, that's, that's a great example. Uh, when they're on their way to Israel, uh, on their way to the land of Canaan to carry out the, the we're talking about war of judgment, uh, it says that it's recorded they rebelled 10 times in the wilderness on their way. 10 times. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. So, I mean, that's a perfect example. This, is, this, this long-suffering aspect of God uh, is highlighted in the Old Testament, but it takes a pretty thorough reading. You know, if you're, if you're just going to pick and choose, I mean, you can definitely just grab a handful of scriptures that show the high point of the judgment, because it's there, the judgment's there, but you're not getting the fuller picture of hundreds of years, 10 times the chances, uh, you know, the stories of prophets sent over and over again, calling people, you know, this long-suffering aspect of the Old Testament is a huge story. But uh, like we said, it's so big that you have to, uh, what's the saying? You can't see the, can't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that long-suffering aspect of God in the Old Testament is hard to see because it's so big. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, you know I, I think it's really important to highlight that so, because it really matters. If you, get this, if you pick up this picture of God as harsh and brutal, that affects your everyday life. That becomes part of your worldview. That becomes how you view God. That becomes how you view yourself. Yeah. So it's really important not to um, not to get cheated out of a uh, of a biblical view of God. Yeah, absolutely, Shane. I mean, a, th- a thorough understanding is is extremely important. You know, that's what I find really interesting about the Bible is that 
it's first off, it's a really big book. It just has so much to it. You know, there's never, you never have anybody that says, I read the Bible, I'm done. Or, you know, I've read it enough, I'm done. It just has this kind of unique quality to it that even you, you can read something that you've read before and you see something that you didn't see before. It has some sort of new revelation to it. Uh, it just so that I, I just find that that quality of the Bible so fascinating about that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's let's keep going here. Let's kind of wrap up this sort of section that we're on here. But we're kind of looking at some examples of where uh, God was showing His mercy. And one of the ones I find really interesting is I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's Josiah. I believe he was the king um, at the time. I believe he was the one that discovered the law in the temple. And just that story to me is just, I, I, it's just, it's just lack of a better word, fascinating to me that that Israel must have been so far gone, so apart from God. They didn't, they didn't know where the law was at. You know, it, it was in the temple for crying out loud. It wasn't, you know, like I said, it wasn't buried anywhere. It wasn't stolen or anything. They had no clue where it was at. And of all places, it probably one of the first places you might want to go look. <laughs> Maybe the temple. But, uh, you know, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. Uh, you, you assume that either they didn't know it was there because they were that far gone, or they just knew it was there and just ignored it for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know. But either way, it just shows how far gone they were. And, you know, it would be reasonable to assume that God would just be like, that's it. I'm done. Y'all have turned your backs on me. This is... Uh, to, to such a degree, I'm just going to wipe you out. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He continued to show his mercy on them and, and, and accept them. And uh, I think that's just a really, uh, really cool, uh, really cool story, I think. Um, another one, too, a really, a really kind of wild one that sort of can kind of rat, rattle our cultural, spiritual cages a little bit is the story of Samson. You know, Samson wasn't the most upright guy. He was not the most moral guy. I mean, he was, you, some would describe him as a violent sex addict. But what's interesting about it is God still put his Holy Spirit on him despite all of that. And for some of us, that might kind of mess up the spiritual paradigm that we grew up in, that we, the assumptions that we brought into it, that God would never do that. God would never um, work through sinful people. Um, but I think it's just one more story where God shows his mercy on sinful people. Yeah, that's a good point. In what in the figure of one person, you have this judgment and long suffering, uh, <laughs> all wrapped up in one person. These these right. addictions, yeah. yeah, like you said, being used for judgment. I mean, it's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, yeah. And when you read these stories like this, you just get this glimpse of God, and you see this sort of boundaryless capacity that He has for mercy. We see all these countless stories of of Israel, not just messing up, not just messing up multiple times, but messing up multiple times to great degrees over and over again and repeating a lot of the same mistakes over and over and again. But yet God is always there. He's always willing to, to, to bring us back. And the Bible really rings true when it says that his mercy is everlasting. Well, in true switching lenses fashion, Shane and I talked way too long about this subject. So we're going to stop the podcast right here. Uh, we're going to break this up into two parts. So next time on the show, we're going to finish out this, this, this question that we're on about the bipolar God. And we're going to have answer two questions, one of them being, 
can grace and judgment coexist? And then also the idea of can anger exist within love? And then, of course, we're going to finish it up with our second question talking about um, does, is the Bible relevant in our modern culture, in this so-called progressive culture that we live in? So thank you for listening, and we hope to see you on the next episode of Switching Lenses.